hope you can bear with me. I'm still dealing with this virus that's going around. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for today. We thank you for the beautiful weather that you have given to us today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that as we, we were singing about just earlier, something that we might often take for granted, and that is your immutability. That is the fact and the truth that you never change. Now, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That even as things seem to change on a yearly basis, a monthly basis, a daily basis even, all around us, you never change. We can always anchor our souls into that truth uh, and, and, and rely on that and build our foundation on that, that you never change, that we can always come to you, confess our sins, repent. And we know, as 1 John 1, 9 tells us, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for all these different promises you have given to us in your word. Lord, I pray that you bless our time this morning, that your spirit would go forth, uh, our hearts would be changed, and I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On quite a few different websites, uh, people were asked to submit their worst movie summaries, which if taken literally are pretty funny and are relatively accurate. And based only on these bad movie summaries, I want to see how many you can guess. All right, you ready? Everybody had their coffee this morning? Okay, that was very unenthusiastic. Okay. All right, thank you. All right, here's the first one. Father reunites with long-lost son, wants him to take over the family business. Anybody have a guess? Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. All right, I start to see things clicking in your brains now, okay? Okay, here's the next one. A group spends nine hours returning some jewelry. Uh, I'm starting to hear some more groans out there than, than, than laughter. Lord of the Rings. Okay. Transport. Here's the third one. Everybody, everybody's catching on so far, right? Yeah, okay. Transported to a surreal landscape, a young girl kills the first person she meets and then teams up with three strangers to kill again. Is that a good children's movie? Is that, sounds more like a horror movie, doesn't it? Well, that's what we watched often as... Kids, <laughs> the Wizard of Oz. After, and this is the last one. After the death of her parents, young socialite causes millions in property damage. Anybody guess that one? You're going to kick yourself as soon as you see this. <laughs> Frozen. And all these summaries, they kind of work. They mainly exist to try to be funny. If you remember, as we've been going through our Gospel of John, the end of chapter 12 is the closing of the entire first part of Jesus' ministry, which is his public ministry. As we start chapter 13, after this, after what we're covering this morning, you'll see that it is mainly focused on Jesus' private ministry to his disciples. 
So as we close chapter 12 this morning, and Jesus' closing of his public ministry, what we see is Jesus' summary in a powerful and positive way of that public ministry and bringing representatives from the whole world to faith in him. The last time we were in the Gospel of John, a couple of weeks ago, we spent our time on a sort of cutaway section where the Apostle John cuts away to explain that God had prophesied, that God had prophesied through Isaiah what was happening before everyone's eyes. No one was taking Jesus' as Messiah seriously because he didn't look like he was the Messiah. And by and large, the hearts of the Jewish people, because of their staunch refusal to believe in Jesus, had their eyes, ears, and hearts closed by God to believe anymore. Before that cutaway section, we read that Jesus went away and hid himself from the crowd who was most likely wanting to stone him to death once again right then and there. But now Jesus reappears one last time in his public ministry to give a summary of his ministry and give one last call for faith in him. After this, after what we're covering this morning, the public door would be shut. Jesus would spend the next five chapters teaching his disciples in the upper room during Passover, and then he would be arrested. That one last call of Jesus' public ministry is what we're focusing on today. We don't know where verses 44 through 50 take place, but Jesus comes out of hiding one last time to make this declaration starting in verse 44. So if you brought your Bible with you, please turn to John chapter 12. We're going to be picking up in verses 44 through 45. If you didn't, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to John 12, 44 through 45, or look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. This is what we read. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. In verse 44, Jesus is pointing out that he's not calling his fellow Jewish countrymen to start some new religion or commit blasphemy, nor just believe in Jesus separately from God the Father. As he specifies in verse 45, the faith that God called Abraham to 2,000 years prior to him saying these words is the same exact faith he's calling them back to. It's all the same faith. Nothing changed since God created the first man and first woman. They sinned for the first time, choosing to want to be like God themselves instead of simply trusting in and finding, the, finding their fulfillment in God himself and broke that relationship and connection. As God was kicking them out of the garden, he gave them the first messianic prophecy that a deliverer would come to ultimately crush the power of Satan, the one who had tempted them, and crush it forever. For thousands of years after that, people were born and died. Some called upon the name of the Lord, and some decided to create their own deities to worship instead. Floodwaters ended up covering the whole earth. The environmental violence to the climate of the earth we're still dealing with today. 
All the languages and subsequent cultures of the whole world arose after that, born out of humanity's rebellion once again. And there came a point in time when pretty much no one on earth at one point after that worshipped the one true God anymore. Not one. But not all hope was lost because God is faithful and God did not give up on humanity. God himself then broke into human time and dimension and history and called a pagan moon worshiper named Abram to put his faith in him instead and leave his homeland, leave his family, and leave his sizable inheritance all behind. The Apostle Paul will explain in his New Testament letters that this faith was Abram, later renamed Abraham, simply trusting God and that what he promised would come to pass. This faith was counted by God as the righteousness needed to cover Abraham's sin and give him a place in heaven. Uh, Paul says this in Romans chapter 4, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Abraham then became the father of the nation God would adopt as his own people. As Paul will write in Romans as well, these were the people that God entrusted his wisdom to through the law that he gave to Moses to govern them, through the messages he gave to the prophets he sent to them, and through all the wisdom he revealed to prophetic poets such as Job, David, and Solomon. And all three genres of the Old Testament, known as the law, the prophets, and the writings, or poetry, spanning hundreds of years and written by many different human authors under the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit, all of them revealed truths about that coming deliverer. He would be an everlasting king with an everlasting kingdom of peace and prosperity. He would be the same as the everlasting God the Father. He would be a man who would bear much suffering, even crucifixion and burial, but most importantly through that death, but also resurrection. He would deliver not only God's chosen people from their sin, but the whole world from their sin. Jesus himself affirmed that in the Gospel of Luke. He said, now he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms or, or the poetry, the writings must be fulfilled. In summary, the entire point of the whole, New uh, whole Old Testament was to point to the coming messianic deliverer and to Jesus as that messianic deliverer. The Trinitarian God never changed, and God the Father's plan never changed. It was all the same. 
That's what is all wrapped up in verses 44 through 45 of this morning's passage. The world likes to create a division between Judaism and Christianity. That they're two different things and two different world religions among all the other world religions. But that's simply not true. There has always, ever, only been one God in three persons and one faith in that one God in three persons. The main difference is, does someone see that one God's one plan for humanity that provides only one way to heaven and only one means of salvation to go to heaven, which is this, repentance from the sin that separates us from God and faith in the deliverer who is prophesied about from the very beginning. That God never changed and his plan never changed, but something changed. What changed? We changed. Humanity is the one who changed. Ever since we fell to the temptation of thinking, we held the power to decide what is right and what is wrong. We've had this mindset that we can somehow earn our entrance into heaven by doing good things and avoiding doing bad things. Or, and this is even more illogically gutsy, just assuming we automatically get into heaven if we didn't do something we consider in our deceptive standard of morality as really bad. And so specifically, God's chosen people chose to replace their love for him with just trying to follow his law as best as possible and earn his favor. What God commanded his people to focus on was this, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to have a holy reverence for him, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today, for your good. The relationship with God was always supposed to be first. Notice the order of these things. It's to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And then what comes secondly? A following and keeping of the Lord's commandments to show that love. But the love was always supposed to be first. The fear, the love, the serving, the walking in his ways, and then the following of his commandments was born out of the love, fear, and desire to serve him. But somewhere along the line, since it's just what is the default of the fallen human heart, God's people got it into their heads that they were just to follow his commandments and not really care about their heart, about how their hearts felt about him. If you're a parent, you've ever been a parent, you've been a parental figure, you're a grandparent, how awful is that? That your kids just follow the rules of the household but don't care about wanting to show their love for you or following the rules of the household because they want to show their love for you. Which one would you rather have? Following the rules of the household 
out of their love for you, right? And so part of why Jesus came was to point out to his people how wrong they got it. The Pharisees held so much power over the people because of this completely backwards mentality, and Jesus wanted to set the record straight and point out to his people that their heart focus was never the way God intended. Jesus came to be salvation and to be the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan for humanity. Part of that fulfillment was to be the revelation of God's wisdom too, as he brings up in verse 46. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Jesus came to show what walking in the light of faith in him really looked like. And what they had been doing was walking in darkness. True repentance, true faith in, and true love for God was the beginning of walking in the light. Not thinking you had a sin problem and trying to earn your way towards God by just following his commands would always be walking in darkness. We talked about the way it was and how it always was. The one true God and his plan for humanity, how he revealed that plan in bits and pieces throughout the hundreds of years the Old Testament was written, and how Jesus came to be the fulfillment of that plan through his death, resurrection, and revelation of God's wisdom. Let me ask you this. If you were dying from a disease, if you were dying from a sickness, and someone came along to tell you how you could be cured from that sickness, whose decision is it now to follow up with that cure or not? Whose decision is it? It's yours, right? You've been told what the cure is. Now it's your decision of whether or not you're going to do anything about it, whether or not you're going to follow up with that cure. You have a choice to either do what needed to be done to be cured of that disease or just simply continue on with the disease and end up dying from it someday. As with the whole point of this passage so far, the cure for that sickness, for that disease, for that cancer of sin in humanity has always been the same. It's always been the same. And it's always existed to turn away from your sin and yourself and turn 100% to God and his promises, namely his promises about a deliverer. And for us today, Jesus as that deliverer. The deliverer has always been the cure. Not us, nor anything we can do about it or think we can do about it, nor anything having to do with us. As Jesus says in verse 46, the light has been given into the world. The positive side of that is that anyone who goes to the light of the world will no longer remain in the darkness. The flip side of that is that anyone who refuses to go to the light of the world will simply remain in the darkness, will simply remain in their sin, will simply remain in the sickness of that sin, and will end up in the death 
of that sin. That's what flows into the next section of verses this morning. Verses 47 through 48. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. All right, what in the world is Jesus getting at here? The word I spoke, that phrase, is the same exact thing as my sayings in verse 47. As one biblical scholar points out, and as the Apostle John started out this whole gospel with, Jesus is the embodiment of the whole word of God. We already talked about this so far. The entire Old Testament points to the messianic deliverer. Jesus is that messianic deliverer. So the word of God up to Jesus speaking these words is all wrapped up in him. Not only that, but as Jesus will bring up again in the last two verses, anything beyond that that Jesus has said is only what God the Father commanded him to say. It all goes hand in hand. So, if one rejects Jesus, they reject the entire God's word in the Old Testament collection of Jewish writings. And if one rejects Jesus' sayings and words, they are rejecting God the Father. By extension, since the whole New Testament is based on the four Gospels of Jesus' first advent and the development of faith in this church age following Jesus' first advent, rejecting Jesus is also rejecting the whole New Testament as well. That goes without saying, but lots of people like to pick and choose things they like in either testament of Scripture, relegate to allegory or legend other parts, and completely reject as no longer relevant to this culture other parts. And what Jesus is saying is, you must take all of it, or you can't take any of it. You have no right in taking any of it if you don't take all of it. One might be confused about what Jesus is saying here in verses 47 through 48, but it simply goes right along with the rest of what we've been talking about. If one has an incurable disease that they will die from, someone else comes along and reveals to you that there is indeed a cure, and what that cure is, you then have a choice about what to do with that information, right? In order to be cured, you must do what needs to be done in order to be cured. If you simply don't want to be bothered with that, you will naturally succumb to that disease in death as a natural consequence or judgment of not following up with the cure for it. That's what Jesus means when he says that he didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. As Jesus says earlier on in this gospel, the disease of sin already existed and has existed ever since the first two humans were created and fell. The consequence or judgment for that disease of sin is not only earthly death, but the second death as well, or hell. Every human 
past the age of accountability, will simply succumb to the judgment of the disease of sin in both deaths if nothing changes. The consequence or judgment is simply written into the disease. Jesus came to announce that there is indeed a cure for that disease. Came into the world for salvation. The cure for that disease is himself. And how one can partake in that cure by repenting of that sin, by repenting of self, and taking him as the savior from that sin and the king over the rest of their lives. That is the overwhelming positivity of why he came. He came to be the cure for our incurable disease of sin and death. If we reject him as the one and only cure, we simply judge ourselves and are judged by the words Jesus declared about himself as the cure. Everything in the thousands of years that led up to Jesus and everything that has happened in the thousands of years after Jesus is all hinged on Jesus. That's what we've been talking about this whole time. Verses 49 through 50. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Everything Jesus has said, everything Jesus has revealed, everything Jesus has taught on, has been only at the command of God the Father. Again, to his Jewish audience, this is to declare that if they reject him, who he is, and who he said he is, they're really rejecting the one they claim to worship. Everything God has planned for humanity has all culminated in Jesus, whether or not they like it. And today, everything God has planned for humanity has all culminated in Jesus, whether or not you like it. It's the greatest summary of the movie of mankind, so to speak. Someone tweeted something along the same lines as the opening summaries of movies, or the corresponding hash, uh, trending hashtag for the movie, so to speak, of the entire thousands of years of the history of humanity and of the world, it would simply be hashtag Jesus. That's what it would be. One word. One name is all it would take. As Jesus says in verse 50, God the Father really just has one commandment. That everything else about the way we're to live our lives is wrapped up in. And it's that one commandment that is the only source of eternal life. That one commandment is what we've been talking about all this time. And it's all summarized up in what the Apostle John records towards the beginning of this gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the, world, uh, send the son into the world to judge the world, 
but so that the world might be saved through him as the cure. The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already because they've rejected the cure. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. As noted by one biblical scholar, the one commandment of God the Father, declared by God the Son, is to believe in who God the Son has been declaring he is. One with God the Father, the salvation from sin, the light and the darkness we must turn to, the one we must suffer with, the one we must pick up the cross of and follow, the embodiment of the entire word of God, including all the parts we don't like or wish to disagree with, and the cure, and therefore the natural judgment if rejected. When we take Jesus as the one and only cure for the disease of humanity's sin, established even at the moment of humanity's original sin, the Holy Spirit then starts bringing the balm of healing to every area of our lives. That is what is so beautiful about accepting Jesus as the cure from sin and death. He's the cure for everything that sin has put us through. Our sin, other people's sin towards us. Over the rest of the course of our lives, the Holy Spirit brings us new and fresh healing. Even from traumas that happened years and years and years ago. He redeems those pains and traumas in our lives. He brings healing and peace to those pains and traumas. Oftentimes, he brings enough healing to those wounds that he will then use us to minister to those who go through similar wounds. See, that is just one part of all the overwhelming positivity Jesus brings as the Savior and as the cure. If we reject him, we naturally just continue down the painful road of this sin disease, incurring more and more injury to ourselves until it ends in the second death or the judgment of hell for eternity. But if we accept Jesus for all of who he is, not just the parts we like, he and the Holy Spirit, both, uh, that both he and the Father sent, will be a healing balm on our souls and on our bodies for the rest of our days. And then, brothers and sisters, we get to experience the ultimate rescue from this world when he comes back for us. The difference of earthly life for the believer in Jesus, for the disciple, the follower of Jesus, the difference of earthly life is night and day. The one who has the cure and the one who has rejected the cure, night and day. The difference of eternal life is night and day. Or, as John's been putting it, light and darkness. 
If you've continually rejected Jesus as the cure for your disease of sin, also know this. Also know what you're signing up for. The cure has already been made known. If you continue to reject Jesus as the one and only cure, you're simply going to get what you deserve and what we all deserve. If we have accepted Jesus as the cure, open yourself up to him and open yourself up to his healing every aspect of your life, even and especially the most painful ones. He is the only source of healing and redemption for those most painful parts of your past. He is always at work. He is always in the process of bringing healing, redemption, and restoration to every part of who you are. Even if it doesn't look like it, oftentimes the deepest wounds take the longest to heal. And rest assured, the Holy Spirit is still very much at work bringing healing to those deepest wounds. And at the end of it all, when Jesus comes back for us, whether our soul went to be with him prior to that, and he brings that soul back with him, or we're still alive at that point, if we took him as the cure from our sin, he will give us fully glorified bodies and minds, fully healed from all wounds, physical, mental, emotional, psychological, and spiritual. They will all be made completely well and perfect. So as we long for that day, and we experience the healing of the Holy Spirit in the meantime, while we wait, let us too be about every day bringing the good news that yes, there is indeed a cure for our sin and everything that's happened to us in our past. And his name is Jesus. To one more person, bring that good news that there is a cure. His name is Jesus to one more person, that they too may experience the ultimate healing of soul and body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these powerful and encouraging words in Scripture. As we close Jesus' public ministry in the Gospel of John, this is the perfect and overwhelmingly positive summary of everything Jesus has said and did in his public ministry all the way up to this point. And Lord, that never changed. That remains the same declaration of who you are as the cure for sin and, and every, all the wounds that go along with sin, both our sin and the sin that others have done to us. It never changed. It never changed from the moment that humanity first sin, sinned. And it hasn't changed since. It's still the same cure. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who has not yet taken that cure, that they would do so today. That they would turn from sin and self, repent of it, turn to you, accept you as Savior and King over the rest of their lives. 
And for those of us who have, who have accepted that cure, who have taken that cure for ourselves, I pray that we would open ourselves up completely, even the most painful memories and things in our pasts, up to you, that we may start to and continue to experience the healing balm of the Holy Spirit that he brings to every area of our lives, that redemption and that restoration and that healing, knowing that someday when you come back for us, we will experience it completely and fully and be with you for all of eternity. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me as we close out our time this morning.